are working our way through the book of Jude together as a church family. And we've highlighted how it's hard to find in the Bible, but if you want to start looking, it's right before the book of Revelation uh, in the backs of your Bibles. The other book in your pew is a Bible. It's blue, the hymnal's red. So you're welcome to try and find Jude in those blue Bibles in your pew. Just flip to the back and you'll be there soon. Uh, we've looked at Jude, we've said, okay, this is a letter that was written to people just like you and I. Christians, people who are seeking to follow God or are gathering together as a church. And Jude wrote them a letter and said, oh, you all are beloved by God. God loves you all so much. And I want to just elaborate on how much God loves you. But instead, I'm going to give you this command. Contend for the faith. This faith was passed down to you. Now I want you to contend for it. Contending, right? Like the idea is like fight for it, keep it, preserve it. Because, Jude says... Certain people have crept in unnoticed. These are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our master and Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude's writing to these people and saying, I don't know who they are, but I'm telling you they've crept in. So what I want to highlight over the last few weeks is if you're new to our church, I'm not talking about you. We welcome all of the guests that come to our church. Uh, my uh, idea is probably those who have crept in are already among us, right? And Because what happens is ungodliness creeps in, doesn't it? Because maybe you start coming to church and everything is good, but then ungodliness can creep into any one of our lives. Worldly passions, un, uh, selfish desires, divisions can happen within a church, can't they? As we let things creep into our own hearts. So as we've been going through the book of Jude, I've been framing it up the last two sermons around what not to do. Because none of us want to be that person who's crept in and create divisions. So here's what not to do. And we've highlighted that as we've gone through Jude. There's a lot of things in there that he's telling us not to do. But this Sunday, as we get to Jude chapter, or verse 17 through 23, Jude really shifts and he gives us more of a to-do list. So as you look to this sermon, this is really what we are called to do as we look at Jude 17 to 23. And I'll summarize it in three words. Remain, rest, or remember, remain, and rescue. So as we walk through the passage, this will become clearer, but those are the three words for the day. Remember, remain, and rescue. As I highlighted earlier, we've labeled this year the year of mission, 2022, and we've highlighted our missionaries, but we also want to do as a church is also highlight the mission of our church. And the mission of our church, as we've shared it a few times over this last year, is we want to engage and evangelize the lost. So we understand there's a lot of people in our world around us who are lost. They don't know Christ. They don't have the hope that we have within us. And so we want to go out and engage with them. And then once we've engaged and we're friends, we do want to evangelize. We do want to tell them about the truth. It would be unloving not to. Those who have been saved, though, those who have trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, well, then we say, well, those people we need to establish and equip in their faith. And so that's the mission of our church. In the years, uh, in these last couple of years, I've used this illustration before because I think it's helpful. So think of the mission of uh, different ships that are on the water. Over my shoulder here, that's a picture of a cruise liner. What would the mission of a cruise liner be? The mission of such a ship would probably be like the comfort and entertainment of its passengers, right? Certainly they want to keep them safe. But fundamentally, a cruise liner is set out so that the people on that boat are in comfortable positions and are entertained. 
So just for clarity, I have no interest of being a pastor of a church that has a mission statement that's similar to a cruise liner. And I hope you have no interest of being a part of a church that has a mission that is to be a big old cruise liner. Because that's not what God has called us to do. Rather, a better metaphor for a ship that God is, that is a good metaphor for us as a church is a search and rescue boat. So a search and rescue boat, its mission would be just wrapped up in its name, wouldn't it? It goes out to search and rescue those who are drowning. And so there are people drowning in our world, aren't there? There's people drowning in hopelessness and addiction and a sense of purposelessness. There's all kinds of reasons we could say people are drowning in the world around us. And our mission as a church is to go out to such people and engage with them and evangelize them so that they can have the hope that we have. But there are those of us who are in the boat, we need to be established and equipped so that we can rescue others, don't we? So there's a certain responsibility that we train, establish, and equip those who are in the search and rescue boat. And so what I want you to do is think of this sermon today as a training seminar on being on the search and rescue boat. And we're summarizing this training seminar with three words. Remember, remain, and rescue. Remember your training. Remember what you've been taught. Remain in the boat. Remain safe. And then let's rescue some people. But let's not forget to remember what we've learned. Remain safe. And then we'll be ready to rescue people. So with that in mind, we'll look to the text. We sort of, as the introduction framed it up. So verse 17 of Jude says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. So Jude is telling us, remember, remember what I just wrote to you. Remember what the apostles told you. Remember that the apostles were teaching you what Jesus taught them. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, Beware of false prophets who come in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. The apostle Peter wrote Second Peter, and he said, Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Jude is saying, remember, false teachers are going to creep in. Jesus told you that. The apostles told you that. You need to remember that. Some people are going to come in amongst you and, and scoff at the truth. They might see the, the sexual ethic of the Bible and, and scoff and be like, how could you possibly apply a sexual ethic from thousands of years ago to the current time? Or they might look at it and say, oh, come on, you can't really believe that Jesus walked on water. I mean, do you also believe in Cinderella and Snow White? I mean, come on. These are just stories that help us understand the world. They're going to they're gonna scoff at the truth. And so Judah is saying, remember, that's going to creep in. And that was true 2,000 years ago when he wrote this. It's true for us today. Remember that they will follow ungodly passions. They will cause divisions. And they are worldly and they are devoid of the Spirit. He wants us to remember those things. Now, we all have different abilities when it comes to remembering. Some of us are good at remembering things and others of us aren't as good. But I think we all have the same capacity for remembering. It's just uh, different categories you remember things better. So for me, uh, I don't remember numbers. So if you ask me how much I paid for my house, I don't remember. I, have, I know like a range. If you ask me how much I paid for our van, I don't remember. You ask me what my salary is. I honestly don't remember. Like, I don't remember numbers. 
I can blame it on some way my brain is wired or I just don't want to exercise the discipline to remember them. But Caroline remembers numbers. She could answer all those questions for you. But Caroline can't remember where she put her keys. She will call me from home and say, I can't find my keys. And I will close my eyes and I will say, okay, all right, all right, all right. Uh, kitchen counter on the right edge underneath a pile of mail. And then there it is, right? So we, we complement each other well. She remembers some things. I remember other things. And such it is in the family of God. There's a lot to remember. There's a lot of things in this book that we are expected to remember. But we are here for one another. And that's what we do as we gather here together as the family of God. Is we're reminding one another. Through the songs, we're reminding ourselves of who God is. Through the prayers, we're reminding ourselves that we are dependent upon God. And hopefully as you scatter from here in the pews, in the foyer, in the parking lot, you are reminding one another of how God kept a promise to you this week. Or you're reminding one another of, of a good thing you saw. Or you're simply reminding one another of how much you need each other because you had such a bad week. But what we do as we gather is we, as a family, remind one another, as Jude to told us to do. If you had a week last week that was just marked with defeat and a sense of powerlessness... It could be, it's possible that you forgot that the Holy Spirit is abiding within you and giving you access to the power of God. If you had a week last week that was marked with grumbling and complaining, could it be that you forgot about all of God's good gifts that are in your life and in the world? If you had a week that was marked with sinful desires, did you forget how important it is to do as we just sung, trust and obey? We can't remember it all, but we certainly need one another's help to remember. So that's the first one, remember. The second one is remain, remain. So we get that from verses 20 to 21. In those verses it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So there's a lot in there. What I want us to do first is just focus on a phrase that was right smack dab in the middle where he said, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, if you're remembering well, then you might remember that in the first verse of Jude, it says that Jesus keeps us, that we are kept for Jesus. And you might also remember that the last verse in the book of Jude, the benediction that we've repeated each Sunday we've preached this, it says, now to him who is able to keep you, from stumbling. So if you're remembering well, you might read this verse in Jude and say, like, hold on a second, Jude. You said in the beginning and the ending that Jesus keeps me. And then you tell me here in the middle that I'm supposed to keep myself. So which is it? There seems to be a tension. Am I keeping myself in Jesus' love or is Jesus keeping me in his love? So the tension exists for good reason. What does it mean? Well, let me tell you one thing it does not mean. It does not mean that you can lose your salvation. At Northgate Church, we hold firmly to what has been called the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, or once saved, always saved. We believe fundamentally that God cannot break a promise. And so if you have come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have admitted you're a sinner, and you have truly... Uh, trusted in him as your lord and savior and his death on the cross resurrection from the dead and you have committed yourself to his way then you are a new creation in christ you have been adopted into his family and god cannot remove you from his family it's not possible for him to do that 
And so you will persevere to the end. Once you are saved, you are always saved. So it can't mean that if you don't keep yourself in God's love, then you are now not a Christian. Well, then you say, well, then what in the world does it mean? And I think it's just embedded in the gospel that I just shared. When we share the gospel here, I often say it's as simple as ABC. Each of us, for the first time or for the thousandth time, we need to admit that we're a sinner in need of God's salvation and, and forgiveness. Once we humble ourselves and say, God, I need you, I'm a sinner, please forgive me, I trust in your death on the cross, you forgave my sins, I believe that you gave me life as you rose from the dead, and now I'm committed to following your way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, so I'm committed to your path, God, I'm going to follow you. Well, what I just said has both things in it. You must believe that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. You must believe that he has forgiven you. But you must also commit to doing you know, the best you can to walk his way. It doesn't mean that if you get off of his path, you are no longer a Christian, because that would be to be betray what you believe. But it does mean that you are committed to his way. You are saying, God, I want to be on your path. I want to follow your way and your truth. So the tension exists in our faith. We are simultaneously always kept in Jesus' love, but we are also called to walk in Jesus' love. The best way I can illustrate it, I think, is as a parent. My parent, as a parent with my children, I will keep my children. There's nothing you can do to take them away from me. They will always be mine. They will always be kept in my love. I will keep them safe and secure. And yet, truly, I want my children to remain in my love. What do I mean by that? Well, quite simply, I want them to obey. And that's what Jesus tells us in John 15. Jesus' words, he says, abide in my love. He's saying, remain in my love. Well, how, Jesus? And he says, oh, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So it's actually quite simple, actually. How do I abide in God's love? Oh, to obey him. If I obey Jesus, I am remaining in his love. But it's fair to admit that that's oftentimes not our inclination, is it? If I say to my children, I want you to just remain right here. Draw a circle, that circle, that's my love. I want you to just remain right there. I'm going to go over there, and you just remain right here. Well, what do they want to do as soon as you walk away? They want to go off with a spirit of adventure or rebellion or curiosity. I'll admit, whenever I go on hikes, and there's a trail clearly marked before me, and a sign on the side of the trail that says, stay on the trail. Danger over there. I'm like, well, <laughs> uh, just how dangerous is it? Let's go take a peek. It's the hymn writer, and one of my favorite hymns that we didn't get to sing is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And the hymn writer writes these words. He says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The hymn writer is saying what we can all relate to. I know in my heart I am prone. I Naturally, I wander from God. And the hymn writer says, I'll take my heart, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. So we should all be able to confess that, that Jesus has, has led us in a way, and we are all prone to wander off of it. And so Jude is saying, please, just, just keep yourself in the love of God. Stay on his path. Stay in the way. Stay in the truth. Stay in the life. But don't doubt your salvation. But how do we do it? So Jude is, all the other words in those verses are, is Jude saying, well, this is how you remain in the love of God. So he says, building yourself up in the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and waiting for the mercy of Jesus. Those are the three ways that Jude is saying you can remain in the love of God. That's how you keep yourself in God's love. So the first one he says is building yourself up in the faith. That's how you remain in God's love. 
So the question for each of us this morning is simply this. How are you building yourself up in your faith? If you desire to remain in God's love, Jude says, okay, then build yourself up in the faith. How are you building yourself up in the faith? Now, each one of you that's here today gets a point in your column because you came to church. And that's a huge step. I don't say that lightly. There's a lot of people that did not make that choice, right? So you're making the choice. You are actively building yourself up in the faith in many good ways by singing, by praying, by fellowshipping, by hearing his word preached. You are building yourself up in the faith. And so you should be applauded for this step of obedience you've taken as you've come to church today if you're worshiping with us online. However, we could take at least one more step this week, couldn't we? We could, we could build one more block onto our faith this week, couldn't we? Could we not challenge ourselves to do just one other thing that would build up our faith this week? Just one? It could be as simple as saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the Bible app on my phone. And before I go to bed at night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the Bible app rather than whatever else. That would be a step, right? That would be another building block. If you don't want to do the phone, we have these booklets in our foyer. They're called Our Daily Bread. And they're wonderful. Every day of the week, it has a little devotional, a little scripture you can read, and then they explain it for you. You could take that, and you could use that to build yourself up in the faith. But each one of us can take one more step this week, other than this wonderful step you took this morning, to build yourself up in the faith. That's how we remain in Christ's love. We extend to you all kinds of offers to do that, and it's important for us to highlight that our tendency as Americans is to answer that question of how am I building myself up in the faith? We want to answer that in an individualistic, private way. Well, how I do it is it's personal. That's great, and it, and it should be. But you know what else? You're a part of a church body, and the people sitting around you would love to help you build up yourself in the faith, and they would love it if you would help them. That's why we extend you the opportunity for classes and for groups that you can join. That's why we offer church picnics and fellowship dinners. It's why we're gathering in Stephen Teal's backyard on Tuesday as a group of men. It's so that we give you opportunities that you can take these steps of building yourself up in the faith with other people. Because that's how God intended it to be, that we grow together as a community of faith. So that's how we remain in God's love. We build ourselves up in the faith. And then we remain in his love by praying in the Spirit. Now, if you would have asked me two weeks ago, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? I mean, if I were humble enough, I would have said, I don't know. If I were trying to impress you, I would have just probably just blabbered on for a while uh, to try and make myself sound smart. Sound smart. But I have uh, read a lot about it over the last couple of weeks. And there are a whole lot of ideas about what it means to pray in the Spirit. For the sake of time and simplicity, let me just try to make it real simple. Step one, how to pray in the Spirit. <clears throat> pray. So let's just start there. I think a lot of us, if we're humble enough to admit it, struggle with step one. Step one is pray. And prayer just is as simple as talking to God, isn't it? You could just have the simple rhythm. This is so helpful to our family. Every time we sit down to eat together, we pray. If I forget, the kids remember. That's just a simple rhythm of life, isn't it? Maybe when you get up in the morning or when you go to bed at night. Now, if you can do that, you just prayed five times in your day. You went to the Lord in prayer to express your dependence upon him, your gratitude to him. We're just trying to get baby steps, aren't we? You can pray to God anytime you want. You can pray to him all day, any time of the day, anywhere you go. It's the beauty of prayer. You have direct access to God. So when you're feeling burdened or overwhelmed or scared, you can pray to God. 
can pray to him before you feel that way. You can pray to him on behalf of others. So I think prayer is just step one. And then step two, let's talk about prayer in the spirit. And again, I'm just going to make this real simple. Go to God in your prayers and just tell him this. I'm not sure exactly what it means to pray in the spirit, God. But I want to do that right now. And so in this prayer, I want it to be in the Holy Spirit. So I don't want to pray in my flesh, right? Like I'm selfish. I have all these selfish desires. Like I want this prayer, God, to be in the Spirit. So please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, like help me to do that. I think that's just, it can be that simple, can it? We just tell God that this is our desire to pray in the Spirit, and I believe He'll bless that prayer, and He will supernaturally, as only He can do, uh, allow you to be praying in the Holy Spirit through that prayer. And as you begin to do that, it might begin to change the nature of your prayers. And you might stop praying as selfish of prayers, and you might start praying prayers that more align with God's will in your own heart. So that's my advice on how to pray in the Spirit. We remain in Christ's love through praying in the Spirit by, thirdly, waiting for the mercy of Jesus. Waiting for Jesus. We sang it in our songs, if you were paying attention to it this morning. But 1 Thessalonians 4.16 tells us that Jesus is coming back. And he has called us to wait eagerly for his return. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. Jesus is coming back. He has told us that over and over again in his scriptures. He is coming back to restore all things. Now, if you're like me, I struggle with Jesus' return. I have for a long time. Why? I think it's because I am so comfortable and I have so many pleasures in my life, I'm not altogether confident I want God to, to interrupt those. But you know who is often the audience that is the most eager for the Lord's return? It's those who live with suffering. It's those who live with full awareness of how incredibly broken this world is. And they just long for God to come and restore all things. And that is the posture that Jude wants us to have. We remain in Christ's love as we wait for Jesus to return. And waiting is not always fun. My family and I just uh, went to Disney World in March. So I have a waiting story for you. Because any trip to Disney World is a story of waiting in line. So, my story of waiting in line is, uh, there's a new, one of the newest rides at the Disney World theme parks. It's an Epcot Center and it is the ride Ratatouille. So, they have this app on your phone when you're at Disney World. You can see the wait times at all the different attractions and so you can keep an eye on it. And then Disney World just, they, just rewires your brain. So you're standing there in the middle of the day and you say to your like four year old, ooh, we only have to wait in line two hours to ride Ratatouille. Let's go, quick. What a great opportunity. Um, and such it was. We saw like, oh, Ratatouille, it just dropped below two hours. Let's go. It was the end of the day. We were tired, but you know what? We got to ride this ride. This is our last chance. We're going to Ratatouille. So we get there, two hour wait, we buckle down. Four year old, nine year old, 11 year old. Here we go. My sister and her family are there with her young girls and my parents. And we're ready and we're, the line's moving and an hour goes by, hour and a half goes by. We're getting near the two hour mark and we think, oh, we're almost there. And then the Rhine Leiden stalls out. 
rumors start traveling up the line that the ride is broken down. And then our fears are confirmed. And they tell us, we cannot promise you that the ride will be up and running before the park closes this evening. And with that announcement, a lot of people started leaving the line. But those of us who were real spiritual, we waited. (laughs) We remained in uh, the line. And so uh, we at first there was some spirit of camaraderie, and then that only lasted like 10 minutes. <laughs> and then time just drags on. And I'm telling you, I feel like I, I truly think we waited an hour just sitting on the ground. We're running low on water. We're running low on snacks. It begins to feel like a survival situation <laughs> in the midst of the most magical place on earth. Um, my sister and her family can't take it anymore. They start talking about leaving. They start making their plans to leave, and then finally they leave. And I told my sister this week I was going to make her the villain in this story. She's fully aware. She did not have the faith to wait and remain, okay? I began to doubt. I began to say to my wife, I don't know. What are we doing? What are we doing with our lives? Why, why are we still here? Um... But she talked sense into me and said, we will remain, and we will stay, and we will wait, and we did. And this is how the illustration finishes. The, we start hearing celebration break out at the front of the line, and it washes back through the line like a wave. And we're cheering, not sure what we're cheering for yet. And then sure enough, the ride is open, we get on, and it's a glorious ride. You should go there. It's wonderful. I love Ratatouille. Um, so... The illustration, if you're tracking with me, is just this. Listen, waiting isn't fun. Remaining in this faith that has been passed down to us, if we're going to be totally honest with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, remaining consistent to the teachings of this book is sometimes not fun. And waiting for Jesus to return and restore all things isn't necessarily the the theme park ride. It's a long wait as we wait for Jesus to come in his glory. But when he does, it's infinitely more glorious than Ratatouille. And so we're called to wait for Jesus' return. And as we wait, we will remain in his love. So the words are remember, remain, and rescue. That's the third word, rescue. So we've now prepared you to be on the search and rescue boat. Remember what you have learned. Remain in the boat. Remain in his love. Like remain, build yourself up in the faith. Pray, wait, and now rescue. Verses 22 to 23. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Quickly, it is rescue gently, rescue quickly, and rescue carefully. As you approach on the search and rescue boat, there are all different kinds of people in the water that need rescued. Some of them you're going to need to rescue gently, others quickly, and others very carefully. Those who rescue gently were saying, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. Certainly there is, I would assume, nobody in this room who has has not had a doubt about Christianity. I mean, hopefully, I would assume we can all agree that we've had a doubt cross through our minds. A doubt about who God is. A doubt about how he's working things out in our world. A doubt about something we read in the Bible. We have all experienced doubts. What do we want people to do when they experience doubts? We want them to come into the community of faith. 
and be vulnerable enough to share their doubts with us. And as they do that, we will receive them gently with mercy. Because where else do you want them to go with those doubts? We want them to come here with those doubts so that we can respond with mercy and gentleness and rescue them, but in a, in a gentle way. I don't know about you, but I've heard the horror stories, and I pray, God forbid it happens here, where people come with their doubts and they're lectured. They're lectured. They're made to feel small. They're made to feel stupid. They're made to feel rebellious. Their response is not one of mercy and not one of gentleness. But this church, we as God's people, ought to be a safe place for people to come with their doubts. I've shared with you already this word deconstructionism. There's a, this is a new trend in Christianity. People are deconstructing their faith. People my age and younger are saying, you know what? I'm not sure I believe in this faith anymore. I need to deconstruct it. So imagine it like a, a Lego creation. They're saying, I need to take the Lego pieces off and deconstruct the faith that I was passed down to me. As I have serious doubts. Now it was explained to me recently that, you know what, deconstruction may not be a bad thing necessarily. It could actually be a very healthy thing for people to walk in here and say, I'm, I'm taking apart the Lego creation. And say, that's great. Can I, can I sit next to you as you do? And then you know what we might be able to do is once the pieces are all scattered on the floor, we get that owner's manual that came with the Lego project. And we open it up together and we start to make sense of where the pieces go and why they go there and how they connect. And then people can emerge on the other side, having deconstructed and reconstructed a faith that is now their own, that they understand and can walk with. Now that would be beautiful, but you know what that requires? It requires a spirit of gentleness and mercy for those who walk into this congregation with doubts. Rescue some gently. Rescue others quickly. Certainly, we're not all the same. Somebody walks in the door with doubts, we, we respond gently. Somebody walks in the door and tells me they're addicted to heroin, we respond quickly, don't we? If they tell me they're, they're addicted to drugs, I mean, we respond quickly. Because they're in the fire, and we must respond quickly and try to pull them out of it. And I understand some people don't want to be saved, and, I, and there's complexities to this, but, but really Jude's trying to be simple. He's saying, save others by snatching them out of the fire. We want to right away say, like, well, maybe they don't want to come out of the fire. That's really none of my business. I don't want to come across as judgmental. And maybe those are good questions to ask. But maybe other times you need to just reach in and try to help somebody. And maybe that person who's caught is, is caught in a cycle of sin that they can't break on their own. And what they desperately want is for someone to tell them that they are so loved that someone's willing to reach into the fire and save them out of it. Some people need to be rescued quickly. Some people you need to jump into action and exert yourself. I remember years ago, a friend of mine I learned was in a cycle of sin with pornography. And it was awkward, and I learned about it, and it was awkward, and I, and I inserted myself, and I extended a hand, and, and he received it, and we began, and began to break that cycle of sin that he had in his life. Years went by, we live in different cities, and time has passed, and we're, our paths crossed, and he shared how important that moment in his life was, and how that helped him break out of a cycle of sin, and how appreciative he was, and I said, well, I didn't feel like I did enough, I feel like I could have done more, and he said, no, no, it's... That was really valuable because I needed somebody to reach in and break that cycle of sin. Some people we have to rescue quickly. We have to be bold. Others we have to rescue carefully. That's why Jude says, 
Others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So he's saying, okay, as we rescue people, right? You're in that search and rescue boat. And you're reaching your hand over to pull somebody up out of the water. I mean, you have to be careful, right? You have to respect what's going on. There's a storm in the sea that caused this other ship to capsize. The worst thing that could happen is if your rescue boat capsizes. So you should have some healthy fear and respect for the situation you're stepping into. And so we should have a healthy fear. And he says, so hate the garment that's stained by by sin. So just to establish this metaphor right before we end. He's just saying, if this coat is stained by sin, then you should hate this coat. But you should not hate the person wearing the coat. You should hate the garment that's stained by the flesh, not the person. I'm not sure where the expression hate the sin but love the sinner came from. But it might have been from this verse in Jude. That listen, yes, hate the sin. This, this garment that's stained by skin, sin, you should hate it. But you should not hate the person inside of it. But you should carefully and fearfully approach them and help them and rescue them and get them in the boat. We remember we remain and we rescue. Remember that ungodly passions can creep into any one of our hearts. Let's remain in the love of God by, by building up our faith, by prayer, by waiting for Jesus, and then let's go out on a rescue mission today and this week. Being sensitive to who's in the water. Some will require gentleness, some will require speed, and some will require great care. Let's pray together.